How many of you pray oftentimes and then you feel like either your prayers are hitting the ceiling, nobody hears anyway, I don't see a response anyway, maybe I don't qualify to have my prayers answered, God just doesn't hear me, that's why I'm going to go ask somebody else who I think has a more righteous life than I because maybe God will hear them instead of me. How many of you feel like that sometimes? And prayer oftentimes, in prayer, we become pretty discouraged. Many things about prayer will discourage us. Some say, well, if God has already planned out everything, why pray? God has already ordained everything, why do I even have to pray? God has already decided what's going to happen. He has preordained and predestined. Uh, he has foreknown everything. Uh, why do I even evangelize? Why do I even share the word? And people pick up a real fatalistic perspective of life because things are no longer real for them. And so Jesus encouraged us to pray. And there's one very good reason as to why we ought to pray, even though God has ordained all things. He is sovereign over all things, and He is Lord over history, as we read last week. We have still been, we have been asked to pray. And my question is, if Jesus asks you to do something, if God asks you to do something, would you be obedient? That's the question. Many people cannot obey because it just doesn't work for them. See? And there's an example of this in the Bible. Um, Han, if you don't mind pulling up our first, uh, the verse that I asked you to... Uh, I should forget the address now. Matthew 26, 38, the Bible says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, My soul is deeply grieved. He's about to go to the cross... He knows exactly what's about to happen. He's going to be separated from the Father and the wrath of God is going to fall upon Him. He's going to become sin for us and He's going to carry our sin upon Himself. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Remain here and keep watch with me. And He went a little beyond them and fell on His face and prayed saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. I just want to pause there for a second. Isn't it interesting how Jesus at that point had a will other than the Father's will? God the Son and God the Father willed two different things. Just interesting to know. It says, and He came to the disciples and found them what? Sleeping. Yeah, He came to the disciples and He found them what? Sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? You could not keep watch for me, watch with me for one hour. And when I read that, I felt like God was pointing to me and God was pointing to us as a church and as a church, not just locally, but also universally. As we go into very, very strange and uh, confusing times. 
I don't think that there's anything more important for us than to know the Word and to pray. To know the will of God and to pray. To study the Word of God and to pray. Those two, those two would be our strength no matter what we go through. Oftentimes we think uh, this is a time for us to fight. Well, this is how we fight. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. But we have to watch and pray. Pearson said, There has never been a spiritual awakening in a country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. There has never been a spiritual awakening that did not begin in united prayer. Together we have to pray. There's obviously things going on in the world and it's becoming clearer and clearer to us. I'll give you an example this week. I believe it was on Thursday that China, the, the Chinese government, made it illegal for uh, effeminate men to be on screen, on TV screen. Did any of you see that? Yeah. They, they said no more girly or sissy men on screen at all. That's what they said. And uh, they're clamming down on any kind, anything that seems or looks homosexual. But on, in, that, in that vein, you know, they're clamping down on other things too. But they're no longer allowed to have people admire um, pop singers and so forth. And uh, it's interesting how on the one side of the world, um, justifiably so in their minds, you know, they are going to clamp down on something. And on the other side of the world, in our world, uh, you clamp down about having a thought about any of it. It's almost like uh, you have to promote it. Seminaries today struggle to be accredited if, in fact, they teach out of Romans chapter 1. And so you'll see that seminaries today, they, they are going to have to become what they call woke in order to remain in good standing with the state. So here we have in the same world these forces, and you think that they're opposing forces, but they're not. They're the exact same spirit. It's the spirit of control. That's what it is. The spirit of control. And the spirit of control is training everybody. It's training the population of the world right now on what it is to submit, basically. And so we have to know that our, our warfare is not against, you know, those people who are making the mandates and so forth, but it's against the, spiritual, the principalities and the powers of the air. And Jesus, at the most crucial turning point of history, of humanity, He calls His disciples to pray, and I believe that now as we, again, face, uh, not in the same way, but as we face pressures, we too have been called to the very same thing, and that is to pray. Jesus not only taught prayer, but He Himself was a brilliant example of prayer. In Mark 6, 46, it says, And after He had taken leave of them, He went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 5, 16 says, But He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark 1, 35 says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Matthew 14, 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went away up on the mountain by himself to pray. So we see Jesus not only told us to pray, he didn't just teach on prayer, but Jesus actually 
emulated that example of a life of prayer. Consider the fact that Jesus was pure, Jesus was perfect in every way. He was great, He was mighty, yet He prayed so often. He had to constantly go on His knees and submit Himself to the very will of the Father because that wasn't necessarily His will. In the same way, in every part of your life, if you're a parent, if you're single, if you're married, if you're a business owner or if you work for a business owner, you've, you live in this world and you too have a will and you too have to constantly pray and go on your knees and do exactly what Jesus did by submitting your will to the Father's will. We have to start there. We can't even open our Bibles if we don't know how to submit ourselves to the will of the Father. Because even if you know what it says and you don't know how to submit your will to the will of your Father, you know, that'll be a problem. And this is one of the reasons it's very important for us as parents to teach our kids to lay down their will. Because if they don't know how to do that, suddenly they're going to learn how to do it. <laughs> you know, when they open up the Bibles. No, this is not true. We are, our, we are the parents and we have to teach them how to lay down their will. But if Jesus drew near to God as often as He did, how much more incessant in prayer ought we not to be? In Luke 18, verse 1 through 8, Jesus says some very interesting things about prayer. And so, He says in verse 1, Now, He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not become discouraged. So let's pause there. It says right there, he was telling them a parable to show them something. What is it that he was showing them? That they ought to pray at all times and not be discouraged. They have to pray at all times. Now, it's not saying quit your job, go in your closet and start praying 24-7. That's not what it's saying. He, Jesus is saying at all times, in times of prosperity, in times of poverty, in the early times, in the later times of your life, in times of singleness, in times of marriage, in times of not having children or having children, in times of, of having to uh, um, uh, work for somebody and submit yourself to a boss or be a boss. But at, at all times, pray. Do everything that you do prayerfully. That's what he's saying. If you're a single individual... Are you a prayerful single individual? Are you thinking about your singlehood in a prayerful way? If you are married, are you thinking about your marriage prayerfully? If you're a parent, are you doing this prayerfully? If you are a boss, if you are working for somebody, you are serving in this church, are you doing this prayerfully? And so Jesus is saying, pray at all times. Pray at all times. And you ought not to become discouraged. This tells me that it's easy to get discouraged in our prayer lives. I have struggled with this, and I'm almost sure you have struggled with this. How many of you will be very transparent and let me know that you struggle with this too? You are discouraged in your prayer life very often. So here Jesus is saying to pray with courage. The opposite of discouraged is with courage. It is to be with optimism. It is to be with expectation. So when you go on your knees or when you pray about your marriage, when you pray about your children, about your job, about your health, 
Do this with optimism. Do this with courage. Be a courageous prayer warrior for your family, for this church, for this nation, for this government. Pray courageously. And so after Jesus makes the statement and he says, now um, pray at all times and don't be discouraged while you do it. And here and now he's going to tell us a story, a parable, in, as an explanation as to why you shouldn't be discouraged. All right. So today you're going to learn why you should not be discouraged in praying. You might say, well, I'm not seeing the healing. I'm not seeing the breakthrough. I'm not seeing the change in the community. I'm not seeing anything that I pray for. And Jesus said, well, don't get discouraged. Here's why. He says in verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect any person. So think about that. Here's a city. In that city there's a judge. This judge was not God-fearing. He was evil. And he did not respect any human being. Verse 3, Now there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my opponent. Give me justice against my opponent. Verse 4, For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect any person yet, because this widow is bothering me, I will give her justice. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, listen to, what this, listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Verse 7. Now, here is Jesus about to contrast this unrighteous judge to our righteous Father. He says, now, will God not bring about justice for the elect who cry out to Him day and night? Who is the elect? The bride of Christ. When did he choose the bride of Christ? Before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. Will God not bring about justice for his elect who cry out to him day and night? And will he delay, uh, and will he delay long for them? Question. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There's so much that Jesus is explaining to them in this parable as to why they ought to pray at all times, times of oppression, times of freedom, times of liberty, times of darkness and wickedness, we have to pray. He says, firstly, in the opening verse that the Lord introduces the first character in the story, which is the judge who neither feared God or respected men. The point Jesus is making here as he compares this judge with God the Father in heaven, Jesus' point is that he's making here is that if the poor widow was able to have her request answered by a godless, disrespectful judge, then how much more wouldn't you and I be able to have our prayer requests answered by a righteous, caring Father? If only we would become persistent as she was. She gets the judge to respond to her because she's wearing him out. How much more won't we see the Father respond to us because He has promised us? Now think about this. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up being told, uh, when you go to God, ask Him for something one time. Be done. From here on, just thank Him. Thank Him, thank Him, thank Him. 
But yet, uh, Jesus is teaching something different here. He says you need to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back until you get your answer. You have to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. And, and he's encouraging you to wear him out with your requests. That's what he's saying. Don't get weary. Somebody said, yeah, well, if I, you know, if I asked one time, now I'm going to be in faith. God answered my prayer when I asked him. Now I'm just waiting in patience, faith and patience, and I'm just going to keep thanking him, thanking him, thanking him. Jesus says, no, come to God and keep asking him and asking him and asking him. Secondly, this judge had a flawed character. He failed in two major areas. He did not fear God. Let me just quickly backtrack because I know that there's a question. When you ask him, yes, you ought to thank him. But you have to keep coming back to him, asking and thanking, asking and thanking, asking and thanking. You understand what I'm saying? Secondly, this judge had a flawed character. He failed in two major areas. And that is that he did not fear God, of course, and therefore he could, uh, you, one could say that he had a seared conscience. And secondly, that he disrespected people. He obviously had no compassion. So he had a seared conscience before God, and he had no compassion towards humans. I mean, think about having a... You don't want to stand in front of a judge like that. <laughs> a seared conscience with zero compassion. But what made it worse was that Jesus tells the story of this hardened heart toward God and man by showing how this judge doesn't even pretend to be good. He doesn't even pretend to say the right things. He even says to himself, I don't fear God, and I don't even respect man. This judge was a wicked human being. He answered only to himself. So what is Jesus saying here? If this widow's persistent requests, this is the actual subject of Jesus' teaching, persistency in prayer, persistency in requesting over and over, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And the judge goes, you know what, stop it, I'll give it to you, just get out of my hair. <laughs> Jesus is teaching persistence in requests, making requests. So here he is, he doesn't even make, uh, make any bones about the fact that he doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. And what Jesus is saying is that if this widow's persistence in requesting from God was so effective that she could solicit a positive, excuse me, requesting from this judge, that she could solicit a positive response from a wretched judge who is compromised and lacks compa uh, compassion, then how much more would you and I if we become persistent in our requests to God, prevail when we come to Him because He is the friend of the needy. He is the father of the fatherless. And He is the avenger of those who are truly oppressed. So let this poor widow's persistent request encourage you to persevere in prayer as you go to your loving Father daily at all times in your life. And then thirdly, we have to notice uh, the selfish character of this judge. When he eventually agreed to answer her, he mentions why he was going to answer her request. He actually says it. He says, he actually confesses his selfish motive in verse 5. He says this, quote, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. 
Only because she bothers me, I will give her justice so that she will not, uh, so, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Family of God, if this widow could get her persistent request answered by a selfish, wicked judge who didn't fear God and has no compassion on men, how much more wouldn't you and I receive from our gracious Heavenly Father if we would just persist in our prayer life? Do not grow discouraged and weary. Keep coming to God about the same thing over and over. Up to this point, we have looked at this selfish, godless judge who had no respect or compassion. Let's now turn to the poor widow and consider a few things about her. Uh, this lady, firstly, she was, an, she, she was of no consequence. She was unknown to this judge, and he possibly never ever even saw her before. Who she was and what she needed was of no consequence to this judge. He couldn't care less, especially over the fact that he didn't even know her. However, family of God, when you come before God, you come to Him not as an unknown, insignificant person, but you come to Him as Christ's bride. The very one the Father elected to marry His Son before the foundations of the earth. The one whom the Father foreknew, whom He foreloved, that's who you are. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that He, that he, that he counts the, the hairs on your head. They are, every single one of them has a number. You are so precious to Him. From eternity past to eternity future, no one and nothing can rip you from His hand. He cares for you. Why would you not persistently come back to Him? Over and over. When a poor widow who was a stranger receives her request answered by an unwilling, uncaring, godless judge, how much more wouldn't you and I receive our request and answered by our Father since He knew us beforehand, He loved us beforehand, He chose us before the universe was even created. Now secondly, about this lady, I realize that this poor widow appeared before a judge Without a lawyer, she came to him by herself and without an advocate, without a friend, without any kind of support. Now, if she was going to win this case before this judge, then she would have had to depend on herself alone to make a case on, some, on the premise of her either being right or being good enough and her opponent being wicked and evil. What Jesus is teaching about this in prayer is that when, I, when you and I come to the Father in prayer, we come in Jesus' name. We have an advocate that stands in our place, making intercession for us. We have a friend who goes before us and stands in that gap for us. On Christ's behalf, we come to God. In His name, we come to God. And if that poor widow could accomplish what she did with perseverance in prayer and persistence alone, imagine how your Heavenly Father will answer your persevering, persistent prayers considering the fact that you have an advocate with the Father. That's just great news. And then finally, thirdly, when this poor widow comes to, to the judge, she comes with nothing but a need. That's all she has when she comes to him. She has great need. 
when you and I come to the Father, we come to the Father not only with a need, but with His promise to answer that need. Jesus is teaching that if she was able to receive answers to her requests without a promise, how much more would we receive from God since He has already promised you and I? So when Jesus tells a story about this persistent widow, He's speaking to His disciples and He's saying to them, now, when it comes to prayer, first, you ought to pray because I asked you to. Second, you ought to pray because I commanded you to. Thirdly, you ought to pray because look at what Jesus went through. And they could not even watch and pray for an hour. And then finally, the reason we pray is because we know that when we are persistent in our prayers, God actually, a gracious, loving Father who has compassion and has promised will answer when we persistently come to Him over and over again. So today, what I wanted to do is I just want to encourage you, as simple as it may seem, I want to encourage you to not be discouraged in your prayer life. Pray at all times. It is time for us now more than ever to fix our prayer lives. How do I fix my prayer life? I repent. How do I repent? I start doing what I know I should be doing. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You don't have to walk around feeling guilty. You don't have to walk around feeling beat up. All you have to do is you have to start doing the right thing. The best thing to do after having done the wrong thing is to start doing the right thing immediately. That's all. And so today, let's start praying. How many of you will commit to that every day? You have to pray every day at least, right? And what we do is we make prayer such a massive issue that we never get around to it. And this is the sin of, of us here in the West. The sin of the West is busyness. We idolize busyness. We worship busy. But you know, there's not really such a thing as busy. Everybody's busy doing something. Even if they're sitting on a rocking chair, they're busy rocking. Everybody's busy at all times doing something. So when it comes to prayer, when it comes to the Word, when it comes to the things of God, when it comes to the body of Christ, it's not that we're busy. It's just we're busy with something else. Some are busy rocking on a chair right now. Some are busy doing other things. But everybody's busy doing what they choose to do. Everybody chooses to do that which they find most valuable to them. And that is concerning. That is concerning. We have to know that we are always going to be busy until we breathe our last, busy doing something. We might as well get busy with the things of God. Amen?